are listening to the Mile Straight podcast. For more information on Mile Straight or to watch a video version of this podcast, visit www.milestraightbc.org. The speaker for today is our senior pastor, Tom Goss. Hey, listen, if you grab the study guide on your way in, take it out. If not, grab a piece of paper or open your notes section in your phone and uh, jot some thoughts down this morning. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. Let me take a moment to say, for those of you watching online, thank you so much for joining us. We're glad you're with us. We'd love for you to join us in person if you're able. Please keep that in mind. Take advantage of it when you're able. About, um, let's see, 10, 15, 20 years ago, probably more like 15 or 20 years ago, uh, after work one day, I was taking, going to be taking my wife and daughter, Melinda and Cameron, to my sister's house, who at that time lived in Dothan, Alabama. So it was about a five and a half, six hour drive. We're going to drive down. We'll probably get there 11, 1130, which is what happened. Uh, but I had to then turn around and come back because I had a meeting the next morning. So I knew I was going to need some help driving, and I called uh, uh, my friend Clip Suddeth. Now, if you're not familiar with who Clip is, Clip uh, was our youth pastor for roughly, what, 18 years or so. And he was during that time. Now he and his wife Mary and uh, son Isaac are in Panama as missionaries. But I called him and asked him if he would mind riding with me and helping me drive if I needed it. And uh, he said he would. And so we took off. We got to Dothan about 11.30. I went in, talked to my family a little bit. Turned around and uh, Clip and I got back in the car, headed home. We had an agreement that he was really sleepy already. So he was going to go ahead and go to sleep. And I was going to drive the first half of the way. So along about Birmingham, we would switch out and... Uh, he would bring us on home so I could get a few hours sleep before the meeting. And that was well and good. He fell asleep very quickly. He really was tired. Uh, we made our way uh, through 231 up to, uh, up to Montgomery on up toward it to Birmingham. And when we got maybe 30 minutes outside of Birmingham, um, he woke up and he said he noticed the time it was about time for us to change probably within the next 30 minutes and he said since I'm awake would you want to go ahead and swap and I said well honestly I'm doing really well won't you just go back to sleep and maybe when we get on the other side of Birmingham I'll be more uh, ready and we can swap then he said okay so he fell back asleep things were going really well I remember getting to the top of a hill and looking down it was a long sloping hill and I'm, I remember looking down and seeing about a third of the way down the hill a transfer truck in the fast lane and uh, that wasn't unusual for Alabama roads back in those days roads were really rough in some places and so I imagine he just got over in the fast lane I was catching up with him it wasn't like he was going super fast but uh, he was probably just over there for comfort and so, as I looked down, I saw him there, and honestly, that's the last thing I remember. I did something that, to my recollection, I'd never done before. I haven't done since. I fell asleep. And I mean, I was out cold. I woke up down near the bottom of the hill, over in the fast lane, 
driving under the transfer truck. He had already pulled off into the median. His left tires were in the grass. He was honking his horns, flashing his light. He was, he was probably screaming, uh, I imagine. And he was braking, trying to avoid contact. When I woke up, I jerked over into our lane, instant sweat. I mean, I was soaking wet just like that. I was scared to death. I, I don't think I've ever had that type of panic before, that type of fear. In my mind, there was a couple of things ran through. Number one, I was so grateful that the truck driver knew what to do and did it, that uh, he risked his own life to protect ours. That was, that was a big deal. But I was also thinking, what am I going to do? I can't drive. Number one, I was so sleepy. And number two, I was scared to death. I mean, I was literally panicked, so afraid. Now, hindsight would say, well, you just pull off the side of the road and switch. But that didn't come to my mind. I was thinking, I've got to get somewhere to change out. And almost as quickly as that thought went through my mind, I looked up and I saw the glow of lights flowing from behind a tree up on a hill. And in my mind, that's the place. I can't tell you the comfort that came to me from seeing those lights. I can't tell you the peace and the security that all of a sudden flooded me in the midst of that fear and panic that, that just seeing the lights brought to me. The exit ramp was there. I rode right up the exit ramp. I turned into what was a big gas station. I don't have a clue if there was anything else around. I don't know. All I know is that was the place for me. It presented to me such comfort, such safety, such security. Did you know that that's exactly what God wants from us? That, that he tells us in the very first sentence of our text verses, Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world. That we have a God-given responsibility to be the light that presents comfort and security and peace and safety to those who are looking for something like that. In that moment, I was so desperate for something. And I saw it. There are people all around us who are looking for something. People who are desperate for something. And God says, I want you to be the light of the world to show them that for which they are looking. Light is so important, isn't it? So important. With that in mind, I want to give you three thoughts. If you're taking notes, get ready to write. Here comes the first one. Number one, the light is visible even when it flickers. The light is visible even when it flickers. Now, we could take this two directions. And quite honestly, I looked at going both directions but realized that I didn't have enough time to, to follow both trails. So let me just quickly say this can be a very positive thing. That even when, when we're struggling, even when we're having difficulties, God still uses us to shine on others. God still uses us to reach other people. He still uses the light. The light of Jesus Christ that's flowing through us. But I want to approach it from the other side. I typically don't do this, but I want to hit this from the negative side just to see the opposite of this. Because it's true that we are to be the light of the world. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. You are the light of the world. It's a very emphatic statement. 
as a believer in Jesus Christ, a follower of Jesus Christ, one who has placed their faith and trust in God, who's been forgiven from our sin by his wonderful grace based upon what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary, we are the light of the world. We have a responsibility to show forth our light. We are, therefore, to be seen. To be seen. Not to be hidden, but to be seen. Light on the hill, just like the light that was flowing from behind those trees. It was very visible, and I was so grateful that it was. As the light of the world, we have a responsibility to be seen, to be visible. But the problem for a lot of us is that we have a way of dimming down the light. Dimming it down. I can remember maybe... As an 8, 9, 10-year-old, may have been a little older, may have been a little younger. I'm not quite certain, but I can remember going with our church group. We had a, a boys' club called Harvest Time Pioneers. It was based upon the Boy Scouts with a really heavy emphasis on Scripture. Now, I can remember a couple of times we would go to... Um, uh, to to the to our church property up on Graysville Mountain, we have 123 acres, and we would go go out into the woods just before dark. We would set up our tents and get our uh, our sleeping bags down, get ready for night because the dark was coming. When the dark got there, it was really hard to to set things up, and so we got there early enough to get things set up. And I can remember that once we finished setting things up, that we would get our dinner out of our knapsack or cooler, whatever we happened to bring, and we would take it over to the fire that the leaders had started, and it would be a big roaring fire. And we would sit around, and if we needed to cook our food, we cooked it on the fire. If not, we would just start eating. And during that time, as we were all sitting around the fire, there'd probably be 25, 30 of us, I imagine, uh, we would start telling ghost stories. Yeah, there's a lot of fun in that. But I can tell you as one who has an active imagination, there's also a lot of terror in that. Eventually, after a period of time, each of us would need to make our way one by one into the woods. I hope I don't need to explain to you why we would make our way into the woods, but... Uh, we would make our way out in the woods, and as this person who had just heard the ghost stories, these dark tales, and uh, they weren't too dark back then, but they were scary enough to get my mind racing and my imagination to thinking. And as I wandered away from the fire to go into the woods, I can remember thinking, well, the firelight will be enough. It will illuminate my way. It'll be great. Everything will be fine. But then realizing, oops, there's a problem here. Because as the flames would flicker around the logs, they would create shadows. And they would create not only shadows, but moving shadows. And for me, that which was supposed to bring me so much comfort, that light, it was bringing me some fear and some anxiety, some real issues. I wanted to get out of the woods as fast as I could. You know, I'm so afraid that sometimes we, we get involved in things as Christians that we have no business being in. And as a result, we begin to dim down the light of Christ, that light that is supposed to be so clearly seen, that is supposed to be so visible. 
That we, we kind of cover it up, we darken it to some extent to where those who are looking, those who are watching aren't seeing what they should see. Maybe it's people in our church family who definitely need to be encouraged. Maybe it's someone who's going through a hard time and they need to look at us and, and find hope and find courage in that moment. And yet the problem is we've dimmed down the light. The reason for this whole study, the reason I started this study, was something that happened to me two weeks ago Tuesday. Melinda and I were getting ready to take our grandson home. Our uh, daughter and son-in-law and our granddaughter and grandson had been in town for a week, and they left Sunday morning, flying back to Wilmington, North Carolina. And our grandson decided he wanted to stay for a little bit. He stayed a couple of days. And on Tuesday morning, he said, I'm ready to go home. And uh, so we packed up and we started toward Wilmington. But I can remember as I was loading the truck, I, I was thinking to myself, you know what? I want to drive differently than I normally do. Now, I'm going to tell you something about myself. This is, to me, it's a very shameful thing. It used to be a source of pride. Now it's a source of shame at this age. I've, I've grown a little bit, maybe. But I am a very aggressive driver. I am, uh, I'm the kind of person that if you do something that's not courteous or you do something that's somewhat ignorant, I like for you to know about it. And uh, I decided there's no way I'm going to coerce my wife into driving like me. There's no way that's ever going to happen. But I may have an influence on my grandson. And I don't want him to think, he's just a four-year-old, but I don't want him at that age to think that that's normal, that that's just the way people drive. I don't want him to see me acting aggressively and discourteously and think, that's the way guys drive. I don't want it. And I, I was just thinking, okay, why do I do that? Why do I drive like that? Because quite honestly, again, not to toot my horn, but just to be honest with you, that is so against my character, so against my nature. I am actually a very kind person. Uh, I, I'm the kind of guy that I'm, I'm very concerned about your feelings. I'm very concerned about making you happy, helping you in difficult times. I, I really am. That's just my personality. When God saved me, instilled His Spirit in me, He gave me the fruit of the Spirit, and that's the way it comes out. So typically, I'm that type of person. So it is such a betrayal of my character for me to get in the truck and to act any differently. Such a, such a betrayal of what God has saved me to be. Now, I wish I could say that I thought about it, and therefore, on that trip and every time since, I've drove perfectly. Uh, it's not the case. My wife would remind me occasionally on the drive, hey, you need to think about what you're doing. Every now and then, the Spirit of God would prompt me, and I would say, oh, okay, got to back off, back off. Because instead of being a person who was providing comfort, I instead was providing intimidation. Instead of a person who was delivering peace, I was providing fear for some. Some people didn't care. Some people didn't know I was ever back there. But others were intimidated. Others were fearful. And I thought, what 
a terrible example. You say, well, those people will never know you. You're right. And that's the way I justified it for years and years. But the truth of the matter is that God knows. And the truth of the matter is, I never know how God is going to use the light that's supposed to be shining from me in the lives of other people. Even people I may never talk to, people in the next car. I may never know who is in that car who's having a horrible week and God just needs to show some kindness to through the guy who would otherwise be somewhat, excuse me if you call this a bad word, but stupid in his driving. And I just wonder, you know, we could go right down the line and we could say, okay, there are things in my life that creates the dimming of the light. Maybe, maybe it's greed. Uh, maybe it's anger or bitterness. Maybe it's lust. And we could go right on down the line until we found every one of our sin that so easily ensnares us and trips us up. And, and we could look at that and say, you know what? It's casting shadows. It's not delivering the comfort. It's not allowing me to deliver the comfort through the Spirit of God in my life that God wants me to be to those who are around me. So then what's the takeaway? Well, the takeaway, I think, is quite obvious. I've got to clean my life up. I've got to rid myself of these things that fight against the working of God to make my light very visible to those who are watching. So that I am living in obedience to what God has called me to be. And that is the light of the world. Number two. Number two, the light has a purpose that can't be achieved when it's hidden. The light has a purpose that can't be achieved when it's hidden. He tells us in verse 15, Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. I, I just thought how absurd this notion is. Why would that even need to be mentioned? There were a couple of times last year when our power went out in the house. And uh, over the last few years, you know, certain storms have come through and knocked the power out. And I can remember those times it happened at night. Melinda and I fumbling through the house trying to find candles or flashlights or whatever to, to get some light on so we weren't stumbling over furniture anymore. At our age, it's much easier for us to stumble over furniture than it used to be. And so we need some light going on in the house. We would find a light. How ridiculous it would have been for us to have found candles and gotten them lit so we were seeing very clearly now or at least more clearly in the house and then to determine, well, we don't need all the light. Take a basket of some sort and cover up the light so you can't see it anymore. It's, it's an absurd thought, right? Who would do that? Who in their right mind would behave in such a way? And yet, I am so afraid there are times... When we try to hide our light. God has said, you are the light of the world. You are to be visible. And yet, there are times when we just cover it up. We try to hide it. And I thought, okay, well, how does that happen? Well, I believe a lot of times shame causes it. I'm ashamed of Christ. I'm ashamed to, to voice my opinion about different things based on the Word of God. I'm, I'm fearful is another one. I'm afraid of how they're going to respond if I do. Now, what are they going to say? What are people going to think? 
And so instead of being that light that God has called me to be, I just cover it up, just hide it. I'm a people pleaser by nature. And so it's very important to me what people think. It's not as important to me now as it used to be. God has shown me that my responsibility is to please Him first. But it still is an important part of who I am. And so I understand this fear factor pretty clearly. I don't want to offend. I don't want to upset. And yet God has given me a responsibility that is contradictory to that. I've got to be the light of the world, which means sometimes it's offensive. doesn't mean I have to be uh, mean and ruthless about the way I go about it. I can do it in love. In fact, God commands that. But my responsibility is not necessarily to make people happy. My responsibility is to be a light that shines. Which means I don't hide that light. I don't cover it up. So what's the takeaway? Well, the takeaway is that I get rid of the fear. I get rid of the shame. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and a might and a sound mind. Get rid of that so that the light is clearly seen, so that people are drawn to Jesus Christ as a result of the light they see flowing through me. We kind of summarize all this then with the, point, with the third point, number three. Number three says the light displayed properly illuminates one above all else. The light, when it is displayed properly, illuminates one above all else. I think about this in relationship to a spotlight. There have been times when we've done certain things here in the church and we put a spotlight in the back of the auditorium that was intended to focus upon one person. Our stage lights, they brighten the whole stage and so our, our spotlight would focus in on one individual. That's exactly what God calls us to do as the light of the world. Listen to what he says, verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So then my responsibility to let my light shine is not, is not so that the lamp is glorified. There are times when we work to let people know we're Christians. We do certain things in church to be seen and to be heard so that we are glorified, so that we are honored, so that we are praised. God says the pure motive in this is that you let your light shine before men. You let them see that you are the light of the world so that they can see what you're doing, they will watch what you're doing, and therefore honor God, glorify God. The responsibility then is that I let my light shine so that God is glorified. Now, the benefit in this for me is that this is why I'm created. God created us for the purpose of glorifying Him. So then when I respond appropriately, when I let my light shine appropriately, I am fulfilling the purpose of my existence, which means that I find satisfaction in life. I find fulfillment in life. It's everything I'm looking for. It benefits those around us because they see the good deeds and they are directed to one that is far greater than themselves, God. 
And God is so pleased because he receives exactly what he wants from us. Glory. Now the opposite of this is if we're doing it in any other fashion. If I'm dimming the light, if I'm hiding the light to where it's not visible, to where it's not seen, then what's happening? I am literally robbing God of his glory. Now that's a very, very scary thought. To rob the Almighty God. And yet it's exactly what happens. I'm taking the glory that belongs to him, and I'm literally in exchange giving it to the enemy. The enemy of God, the enemy of man, the devil. I'm giving to him a weapon to use against Almighty God. Now, it's not effective. We know that. But yet he still takes that and throws it in the face of God, throws it in the face of Jesus Christ. Look at what he's doing. We know that from the life of Job. If you read through the book of Job, you understand how the enemy works. He uses what we do to, to try and dishonor and disgrace God. So then what's the response? I mean, How should I respond to a message like this? I think hopefully it's crystal clear for us that we get our lives cleaned up. So that we are that comfort to those who are around us. We are that light that they look to and say, that's what I need right now. We, we stop hiding the light. We stop trying to mask it or to cover it up. So that people are drawn to Jesus Christ through the work of the Spirit of God in their lives. And we use that light in the most effective way we can muster in order so that God is glorified through our lives. God is glorified. So let me ask you, how effective is your light? Is your light shining brightly? Have you dimmed it? Have you hidden it? You know, maybe the day is all about, like mine was a couple of weeks ago, God, I'm sorry. You know, I've, been, I've been reckless with my light. I have not shown the way I was supposed to. And I'm sorry. Would you help me to do better? Maybe some of us just need to pause and say, God, here I am. Mess this one up. I confess it before you sin. Help me from this point forward. Not to be a Sunday only Christian. It's okay to be a Christian on Sunday around other Christians through the week. It's easy to hide the light. Help me not to be a Sunday only Christian. Help me to be one that presents Jesus Christ continually.